Hi, I'm Stuart. It's my pleasure to welcome you to St Ninian's Church. Today we will be sharing communion. You are invited. We'd love for you to join us. You'll need some bread and some wine or whatever you have to hand that's similar. You might want to pause and go and get those things now. It doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, where you're from or where you've been, you are welcome here. As always, if you enjoy your time with us, then please leave a comment and let us know where you are and like and share so that others can join in too. Today we hear the next part of the conversation between Jesus and Peter. Remember last week we heard Peter announce that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Well, this is what happens next. We read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not in divine things, but in human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. From foundational rock to stumbling block, it didn't take Peter long to blow it, did it? Last week, we heard Jesus calling Peter the rock he would build the new church on. This week, just a few verses later, Jesus is calling Peter Satan. What on earth has happened? Why has Peter taken such a dramatic fall in Jesus' estimations? Last week, we heard Jesus ask who the people and then who the disciples said he was. Peter jumped straight in with the right answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And his reward for recognising the truth of who Jesus was, was to be the main man, the rock that the church would be built on, the holder of the keys of the kingdom. It was all going so well. Finally, Peter seems to understand. Then Jesus starts to show his followers what this actually all means. The Messiah has been long promised, the one who would come and make everything right. They had all grown up with the stories, the prophecies. They had all waited and waited and waited. Things had got worse instead of better. The Romans were here. They lived in an occupied country. They were ruled over by a brutal empire and a vengeful tin-pot local king and a religious system that was supposed to help but did the very opposite. 
The Messiah would change all of that. The Messiah would bring freedom. When you long for change, you, you start to imagine how that change might happen. What it would look like. We don't have to look very far at the moment to see groups of people responding in their outrage to abuses of power and systems that keep them down. Riots, strikes, protests and campaigns, there are many ways to respond. When you live under the brutal rule of the greatest military superpower the world has ever seen, then the thing that makes the most sense is for some kind of military uprising. How else would you be able to rid yourself of the Romans? If you want to beat an army, then surely you need a bigger army of your own, or more advanced weapons, or better tactics. All the way back at the start of the story, thousands of years earlier, Moses encountered God in a bush that burned but wasn't consumed by the fire. And God tells Moses that he's heard the cries of the slaves in Egypt and that it will set them free. Radical action to throw off oppression. That's what's at the heart of the story of the people of Israel. And Jesus has already shown he can do stuff that nobody else can do. He can feed thousands of people. He can walk on water. He can even calm a storm. Surely then he's the one that can get rid of the Romans. If Moses could lead the people out of slavery, then surely Jesus is the one who can set them free. And Peter he used to be like the new Moses in this version of the story. He'll have status and authority. Remember, whatever you say is okay. It'll be okay here and okay in heaven. So when Jesus starts talking about what's going to happen, they're all a bit shocked. Suffering death on a cross wasn't even close to what they imagined. This isn't what they'll spend all that time waiting for. This isn't what they signed up for. Peter takes Jesus to one side and asks him to tone it down a bit. All through this story, the people who Jesus chose to follow him really don't understand who he is. Jesus has been hinting at a different kind of world since the start though. It's there for all of us and them to see. The very first thing Jesus talks about in Matthew's version of the story is this upside down kingdom where the meek and the bereaved and the peacemakers are the ones who are blessed. It doesn't really point to a violent revolution, does it? But when a story is taken hold, it's really hard to change it. When God helped Moses to free the slaves, it was with plagues and an act of incredible violence when the angel of death passed over and killed all the firstborn Egyptian boys. That's their story. As they wandered in the wilderness, they carried the Ark of the Covenant before them. That's the box that held the tablets of stone the commandments were written on. And they were victorious in battle. That's their story. When they came to the promised land, there were already people living there who they killed and took the land from. That's their story. How do you change a narrative like that? A story where God helps you in battle and is co-opted to win wars. That's not just their story. That was our story too story of empire and domination. Now that story looks different, but it's still a story of them and us, of power and dominion. We see it all the time. Refugees are called illegal immigrants. The poor and the unemployed are called benefit scroungers. 
them, they, dehumanising people who are not like us to make it possible to do terrible things. And to hear the story that we're told in that way completely misses the point. This was never a story of support for that kind of thinking. Jesus' talk of the least and the lowly, the poor and the marginalised being favoured by God is not new. It's what happened with Moses and the Hebrew slaves. It's what the prophets have been banging on about for years. But here's the problem. We all imagine ourselves to be the ones who are in some way hard done by. We're never the richest or the most powerful or the most admired or, or whatever it is we want to be. There's always someone with more. So it's easy for us to fall into the trap of playing the victim or the ones who are oppressed. Just open Twitter or Facebook and you'll see someone moaning about how their rights are being limited because they have to wear a mask for five minutes in a shop. It's not a hard thing to see why the disciples are confused. They're not wealthy. They have no status or power or influence. At least, they didn't have until five minutes ago when Peter was told that he would, well, be in charge of pretty much everything. But that really doesn't look like what he imagined it would. If Jesus can walk on water and calm a storm, then surely he could just click his fingers and, and make everything okay, can't he? He's the son of God after all, the Messiah, that's his job. So Peter calls Jesus out and gets absolutely hammered. Get behind me, Satan. Satan's a confusing term. Jesus uses it in the same way that we would now use doubting Thomas or Judas or Jonah to, do, to describe people who are not sure or who have betrayed someone or who are, are bad luck. Satan was the term for the accuser, the one who would lead you down the wrong path. Jesus isn't calling Peter the devil. But it is an echo back to the start of the story where Jesus is tempted to use his power in ways that, well, Peter's suggesting. All of this could be yours. Just click your fingers, say the word. Jesus tries to explain to him, you have to lose your life to gain it. But that doesn't make any sense. Unless you remember that first sermon on the mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, the meek, they all have something in common. No ego. No interest in self-promotion or status or power. It's only when we can put that down that we'll really live into this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. We're supposed to be salt and light, the tiniest of things that make the biggest difference. Peter, even though he has heard these words, even though he has proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he still really doesn't understand who Jesus is. He needs to see it, to really see it. He's had all these glimpses, these moments, but he needs something more. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, 
one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. We call it the transfiguration, the moment when Jesus is finally revealed for who he is. There on the mountaintop, Peter and James and John get to see for themselves and to hear directly from God, this is my beloved son. It was the confirmation that Peter needed at that moment. He still struggles though. The whole take up your cross part, it's a challenge. The cross was a Roman torture device. The prospect of a long, slow, agonising public execution was great for keeping people in line. Unless, unless you knew that death isn't the end. Unless you know that someone has already sorted that out. Unless you know that some sacrifice had been made to free us all from that fear. But we all need reminded of that. Like Peter, we need to see it for ourselves. We need something physical. Something solid. Something that we can see and feel. Something we can smell and taste. So we do this. We gather together with bread and with wine. And we do that because Jesus asks us to. We do that because Jesus explained that this bread is his body broken for us and that this wine is his blood poured out for us. Christ's table is for all who are weary. Christ's table is for all who feel unprepared. Christ's table is for all of us who are ready and those who are not. Christ's table is for all. So come you who feel overwhelmed. Come you who feel way behind. Come you who feel smug. Come all of you. Christ invites us all to this table to find rest, to find hope, to find peace, to find joy. All of it wrapped up in the gift of Christ for each of us, for all of us. Come, join in this feast.
And Jesus, God, was born among us. Born in a particular time and place. Sent to a special nation. And Jesus, God, was born among us. Born for every time and place. Sent to every nation. Jesus countered political unrest with a message of hope. Jesus met violence and resistance with words and actions that spelled out peace. Jesus waded through expectations and showed the way to real life and relationship. A relationship with God and with one another. People didn't get him then. We still don't get him now. Yet the night before he died, he gathered with his friends. Friends who misunderstood. Friends who misinterpreted his words. Friends who would run away when things got tough. He gathered them around and he fed them with bread and wine, symbols of love and action. He asked them to do the same in remembrance of him. So today we share bread and wine set before us at each of our tables, at Christ's table, and we give God thanks. God, we thank you today for gathering us around your table. We know we often don't get you. We often misinterpret you, and when things get tough, we run away. Yet you are here with us. You sit with us at this table. You make us part of your kingdom. And you continue to reveal to us what it means to be your disciples today. In these times. In these times of political turmoil. In these times of violence and unrest and these times when we will pin all of our hopes on almost anything that promises false hope and these times O oh Lord you remind us that your kingdom is already here and you invite all who are weary all who are hurting all who are fearful, all who are running away, the displaced, the dispossessed, the refugee, victims of violence and war, victims of earthquake and famine, those forced to abandon all they know and to find no love in their neighbour. 
So God, as we share together, we bring with all of us those who are overlooked or rejected, all who've been abandoned or exploited. We bring our neighbours and ask that you will show us how to be all that you would create us to be, your children who love God and share our freedom and abundance with all who do not look like us as well as those who do. God, at this table, confront and challenge, comfort and cajole, convict and compel us to follow you into all the world, sowing seeds of peace and joy and hope. God, send your Holy Spirit on us and upon these gifts that we now share together so that we may be filled and may go and feed the world. Every Father, our Father, our Father, right in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 On the night before he died, Jesus took bread. He broke it and shared it with his friends, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this. To remember me. And after they had eaten, he took a cup and declared a new relationship made possible with God for all. We share with those gathered now, with those who have gone before, and those who have yet to find their way to Christ's table. We do this, whoever we are and wherever we are, we do this to remember him.
Lord, you have fed us with the crumbs of hope. May we go and multiply your gifts, bringing hope to the world. Lord, you've given us a taste of new life. May we go and quench the thirst of those who long for justice. As you came to bring light into the world of darkness, may we shine brightly with that light that darkness cannot overcome and with love that can never be snuffed out. May we be prepared to see your alternative kingdom come, disrupting the world's power and ushering in your peace and your hope and your joy. In this place, and this time, for all your children throughout the world, starting here, today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue your walk with Jesus as we leave our time together. Whatever the burdens are that you carry, know that Jesus shares the load. May God's love, Jesus' compassion and the Spirit's guidance be with you today and every day. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you.